What's up, guys? Welcome to TNC 169. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And of course, the cover story, Canelo and Jacobs. That is the big fight preview this week. Our first big event of 2019. Uh, so, doesn't quite feel like a big, big event, right? But we'll talk more about that later. Uh, okay, so the Neutral Corner 169. Guys, welcome to the show. It is the last one from this crazy apartment I'm living in before we get moved this weekend uh, into my house. So thank you, everybody, for joining the chat. Looks like we got uh, 16 of you on right now, and uh, it, the numbers will grow. Boom, it just hit 22, so I know more and more of you guys are going to be jumping on. Uh, okay, so I don't know if you could see... The whiteboard behind me is um, looking at it, it through the screen here backwards. Okay, guys, this week's fee. Remember, I don't charge a monetary fee for this podcast. I give you guys an assignment. This week, it is to hit the like button. Okay? I have noticed a trend in my videos. I posted a, a rant video this weekend that has over 5,000 views and only about 200 likes. That's not even 5% of you. A lot of you guys are watching this video and, and other videos, and you're not taking the time to simply click the like button. So I'm going to ask you to do that, okay? Every video I post this week, like it. Come on. I already know a few of you already got your dislikes in, you bastards. Whatever. Even if you dislike it, just click the dislike. Just do something, okay? Just do more than watch. Don't be lazy. And for those of you listening later on on the podcast version of this, the audio version on iTunes and, and Spotify and everything else, give us a like there, give us a rating, give us a review, and spread the damn word. That is your fee, ladies and gentlemen. Probably mostly gentlemen. But there's a few of you ladies out there too, and I appreciate you very much, ladies, for tuning in. Gail's on? All right, so there we go. So there are some ladies. Thank you, Gail. What's up? I know you had a great time there Friday night at the forum. It was uh, a little sad watching that on the zone. T Tiffany and I watching that Friday night after we worked on the damn house all day. I wanted to be there so damn bad. It made me so homesick. But okay, guys, a lot of news to catch up on, right? And, and of course, I'm going to get to your questions later. Tiffany's going to send them over to me on my iPhone. So get them over to her in the chat. But um, one thing that I didn't have here on my notes that just dropped, uh, kind of already knew, but it looks like it's about to be announced maybe tomorrow, definitely this week. Andy Ruiz has agreed to terms to fight Anthony Joshua June 1st. I just tweeted about it. Look, I, I don't love the fight, but I don't dislike it either. I mean, they, they needed a last-minute replacement. I personally would have preferred Michael Hunter. Call me crazy. I would have given Michael Hunter a better chance than Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz just doesn't have the size, the mass, the power to keep AJ off him. And I actually think AJ is probably going to score a stoppage in this fight. And I'm not so sure he was going to stop Miller. Maybe. Well, Miller was juiced to the gills, so Miller was probably going to go the distance anyway. But uh, just in terms of size. Now, I know Andy Ruiz weighs 260 pounds, but he should he could be a damn cruiserweight if he was really disciplined. He's not a very big guy. Yeah, he's probably 6'3 or whatever. I can't, his height escapes me, his exact height. But he's a little undersized just naturally in terms of natural strength and musculature for the bigger heavyweights in this era. And I look, good last second replacement. Although you went from fighting a New Yorker in New York to fighting a... LA guy 
a California guy in New York. So the demographics of it don't quite make as much sense, but it was a last second replacement. I still think this should have went with, um, with the other guy, but uh, you know, Michael Hunter, I think would have been better, but it is what it is. So that's big news. Um, okay, quick, some other things. And then I want to talk about Gennady Golovkin and Abel Sanchez. I've thought, I've, I've thought about this a little bit more. I did a rant video uh, this weekend about it, but I've thought about it a little bit more and I've talked to a few folks. I have got some inside information. A lot of it I can't share with you guys. I'm sorry, but it has definitely tinted my opinion on things. So I'll get to that in a second. But first, uh, Mikey Garcia dumps his WBC lightweight title. Is anybody surprised about that? I'm not. Uh, yeah, we all knew he wasn't going back down to 135. He wants to stay at 40, maybe even 47, and get a couple cash-out fights. Uh, then I don't, Mikey Garcia might retire in two years or something, honestly. I don't want to say his career is a joke. It's, it's absolutely not. But it, it just it's extremely disappointing. And I bought the Kool-Aid a little bit this year. I really thought maybe he was getting serious. That was all bullshit. That was all talk from him. He's strictly a businessman. businessman. But the WBC... I wouldn't even be talking about this, but they named him champion emeritus at uh, lightweight. I remember the first, the first time I can remember the WBC naming an emeritus champion was when Vitaly Klitschko got hurt and he had to kind of semi-retire for four years because there was a serious injury. And he had held their, the WBC heavyweight title for a while, for several years, and he was a good champion. And at that time, he was seen by many as the best, maybe second best heavyweight in the world. And so the WBC said, look, man, this is through no fault of your own. You got hurt. If you ever come back, you're emeritus champion. Boom, you come right into a title shot. And that's what happened. He came back and, and you went right to the guy, Samuel Peter, who had the title at that time, who was ducking a Klitschko rematch, uh, a Vladimir Klitschko rematch. And I thought at that time, that emeritus distinction made sense. But for Mikey Garcia, he's fought, I believe, twice at lightweight. He fought uh, Dejan Zlatikin in 2017. That's where he won the BC title. Went up to 40, 47, blah, 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 putzed around for a while. Came back last year, one defense of that title. One defense against Robert Easter. And that was actually a title unification. Immediately dumps the IBF. WBC lets him hold on to the title forever and a day, even though he moves up to welterweight to fight Errol Spence. And then he dumps the title. This dude had, he fought for the title, he defended it once, that was it. He held that title for not even two years. He did dick at lightweight, yet the WBC naming him emeritus champion. It's, sorry guys, some of you are going to be triggered by this. It's because the WBC is a Mexican-based, Mexico-based organization. Mikey Garcia and the Garcia family uh, have strong ties with them and they're Mexican-Americans. And the WBC will bend over backwards. I tweeted this uh, when I heard about this news, I think it was last week or maybe over the weekend. If Mikey Garcia took a big hot steaming shit on the WBC title, Mauricio Suleiman would clean it off for him. That's just how it works. They do favors, the BC does, for Al Heyman fighters, but they will bend over backwards, open up their asshole, no lube, and take it straight in there hard for any Mexican or Mexican-American fighter. That's just the way the WBC does business. And there are certain friends of mine in the media who I love dearly, who kiss the WBC's ass because of the access that they get. It disappoints me. We just disagree on that. Everything else we agree on. 
Uh, WBC supports some fringe media outlets, kind of the same way the PBC financially supports some fringe media outlets. That kind of shit pisses me off too. But I'm just, I do like a lot of the things the WBC does, but they make it easy to criticize them too. They, look, I love their testing program. They're the only organization that is doing that. And therefore, if I had to rate which title means more, I would say the WBC title means more than the other titles because they're actually doing some drug testing. But all the other crap that they pull, these emeritus and silver diamond, all these different damn titles, and then their clear bias when it comes to certain fighters who are either lined up with certain platforms or from a certain heritage, it's annoying. It's just annoying. And, and I can't be the only one who calls this shit out all the time. But sometimes I feel like I am. The WBO, speaking about sanctioning bodies, reviewed the uh, Jaime Munguia-Dennis Hogan fight and decided, Dennis Hogan, of course, uh, you know, filed a protest and said he wants an immediate rematch. The WBO sided with Munguia. And they said that, um, you know what? We, we scored the fight independently. We thought Munguia edged it. You're not getting a rematch, dude. Even if you scored it independently and you felt that Munguia edged it, I think they said they scored it for Munguia 115-113. Is that not close enough? Considering all the outrage online and all the fans and media, including ringside media there in Mexico, who scored it for Hogan, isn't that close enough to just mandate a rematch? I don't know. I mean, we've seen the WBA do that, and you guys know I criticized the hell out of them, and they've mandated rematches before. What the hell does the WBO have to lose? Mandate the rematch that would be twice as big as the original fight, which most people thought was going to be a complete uh, annihilation. Suddenly the rematch is more marketable. You get a bigger sanctioning fee. Come on, WBO. Use your cabeza. Or in Italiano, testa. Use your testa. Anyway, all right. WBO, Jaime Munguia, he escapes one there and he moves on. It is what it is. Okay, heavyweight action. Oscar Rivas fighting Dillian White July 20th at the O2 Arena. Finally, Dillian White, who I really feel for. Because here's a guy who's been working his ass off, doing it in the ring. He deserves some, some big shots. He, he has earned a rematch with Anthony Joshua, in my opinion. He has earned a shot. He was the, the WBC mandatory like 5,000 years ago somehow, or at least close to the mandatory for Deontay Wilder, and somehow he got shit out of that. Finally, as an opponent, it's Oscar Rivas. So Oscar Rivas is a Canadian-Colombian, born in Colombia, based out of Canada, 2008 Olympian, went pro in 2009, and for nine years did absolute dick. Last fight fought Bryant Jennings, a fringe top 10 heavyweight, beat him in a pretty entertaining heavyweight fight. So that was, uh, that was his biggest step. Other than that, he's done absolutely nothing in about 10 years as a pro. This is shit or get off the time, or shit, shit or get off the pot time for uh, Oscar Rivas. And uh, we'll see what he's made of against Dillian White, because Dillian White can crack. He's one of the best punchers, mean left hook in the heavyweight division, pound for pound in the heavyweight division, one of the best punchers. And he's improved. He's improved since that loss to Anthony Joshua, and he's done it the old school way. He's also bigger and naturally stronger than Rivas, who's, they list him at six feet, but I swear the guy's 5'10", undersized at heavyweight, good amateur background. As I said, he was in the Olympics, so he's schooled, he's skilled. I just don't know if he has the power and the size to keep White off of him. He'll have, he has a chance to ice him early on before White really heats up. 
But uh, as the more rounds that fight goes, I like White to wear him down and stop him. Okay. Also, some other news. Uh, Matchroom. Eddie Hearn signs Devin Haney. Uh, Devin Haney, a prospect I like a lot. Um, did an article in uh, Ring Magazine on him. I got featured, just kind of introducing him to the fans. Um, so now he's going to be fighting on the zone, right? Lightweight prospect that's become a contender now, and I think he's ready to challenge for a title. So if Eddie Hearn had it his way, Devin Haney would fight Luke Campbell for the WBC title that Mikey Garcia just vacated. So Luke Campbell's the number one contender, and he will fight for the uh, vacant title. But the guy that I think is number two right now, uh, the name escapes me, but he will be celebrating Ramadan soon at the time that they want to have this fight. So he'll be unavailable. So you got to go down the list. Now, Grandpa Bob over at top rank, he wants Vasily Lomachenko to get that shot against Luke Campbell to fight for that vacant title. But I expect the WBC doesn't want a guy who has other people's titles fighting for their title straight away for a vacant title. So I think it is possible that maybe we could see Luke Campbell and Devin Haney fight for that title. And that's a damn good fight. It'd be interesting to see. Luke Campbell, I think, is very underappreciated by a lot of fighters. He gave uh, a lot of fans. He gave Jorge Linares hell in their fight in Los Angeles. We were ringside for that one. And I was like, man, this Luke Campbell kid can box. He's had a couple of pretty impressive performances. Devin Haney, I'd like to see him go over to the UK and fight Luke Campbell and see what he can do in that sort of environment. I think that would be a really intriguing matchup. Probably won't see it. Politics will likely have its way, and we might see Luke Campbell fight some, some other guy that we don't really give a shit about for that title. But maybe, maybe down the line, later this year, early next year, Devin Haney can fight for it or get in the mix. I just think that would be uh, a good, good matchup. Okay, so let's talk about um, Gennady Golovkin splitting with Abel Sanchez. Babe, can we turn on the lights in here? It looks a little dark here in the video. <clears throat> just, yeah, just the soft lights. Okay, so Gennady Golovkin uh, splitting with Abel Sanchez. Now, these guys have been together for like, what, nine years, right? So, um, sorry for the dark video, guys. We just got the lights on in here. <laughs> yeah, we, we, again, our brains are fried. But I wanted to talk about this Triple G thing because I've thought about it a lot over the weekend. I've talked to a few folks close to the camp. And I've also talked to people connected. I'm not going to say how or why, but um, I've gotten some inside information. And I don't know how much of this is true, what I can confirm, what I can't confirm. But what I've heard is that when Gennady went to Abel Sanchez, it was actually Tom Loeffler who brought him there. Um, they, they went with a 15% fee for Abel Sanchez's uh, training services. Now, most of the time in boxing, 10% is your standard fee. That's what trainers get. And then a lot of times for certain fighters, uh, the deal they have with their trainer is as, after a certain amount, once the purse becomes a certain amount, well, then there's a flat fee. So there's a cap, basically. And maybe let's just say it's a million bucks. So at a million bucks, you're capped out. $100,000 is your cap. So if we work real hard and we get a title shot and we get a unification and now I'm getting $3 million, you're not getting 300,000. You're still getting 100,000. There's a cap there. But apparently that wasn't what they had worked out. And again, I can neither confirm nor deny this. It's what I'm being told. It's what I'm hearing. 15%. So if you think about it, 
Golovkin, the first few years in America, he's making 100 grand, 150 grand. He's not, he's not getting paid much. And by the time he whacks all that up with sparring partners, promoters, managers, you know, everybody, he was barely making any money. He was essentially almost breaking even his first couple of fights, right? Barely just covering cost. And I've talked about this a, a lot of different times. So Abel Sanchez wasn't getting rich in those fights. I understand that. But from the David Lemieux fight forward, Gennady Golovkin was making seven-figure purses. Actually, I think his fight against uh, Rubio, he was just under a million dollars. That was the first time he made right at a million dollars. It was like 950 or something. From that point forward, seven-figure purses, right? Over the last couple of years, with the Daniel Jacobs fight and the two Canelo fights, you're talking 50 million plus dollars in purses, right? You're talking a significant amount of money. If Abel Sanchez was getting 15% of that, he's, he's eight very, very well. Even if he was only getting 10%, and the 15% number I've heard is just rumors and bullshit, but I've heard it from people I trust. But let's just say it was only 10%. 10% of 50 million is $5 million. Abel Sanchez is eight very well. Now, at this point, if you're Gennady Golovkin, you're the brand, you're the business, and you are renegotiating a contract with the zone. And part of that is you're restructuring everything top down. So Gennady Golovkin went to Tom Loeffler and said, hey, we're changing the financials here. We're going to lower your rate. We're going to lower what you're getting. You're not going to get what you were getting before. That's the new deal going forward. Tom Loeffler accepted that. And I don't know if they had um, a back and forth where maybe Tom Loeffler uh, – uh, you know, said, well, well, here's a counteroffer. Then Gennady countered, I don't know, but I know Tom Loeffler isn't getting what he got before. That's part of the restructuring because now the pay scale was down here. Now the pay scale's up here. It's different, right? And this is normal in entertainment uh, with entertainment contracts and even business contracts in the banking world, the financial services industry, the government contracts work this way. It's normal. It's, it's just normal business. So Apparently, Gennady Golovkin went to Abel Sanchez, and it wasn't even a percentage offer. It was a flat fee. Here's what you're getting, dude. We got six fights left on this new contract with the zone. Here's what I'm giving you. If you uh, believe what Abel Sanchez says, he said that the new offer was basically, quote, one-fifth of what I was getting before. So if I'm doing my math here, that would equal out to about 3%. Of 100 million possible dollars, well, then that's $3 million over the next few years, or $500,000 a fight, basically, give or take. Now, I know that Abel countered Gennady's offer, and Gennady said, no, this is it. So it was about money. But, and again, I'm estimating with these numbers, okay, guys? I'm estimating. And there's different ways to look at this. But if you're Gennady Golovkin and you feel that Abel Sanchez is the best trainer for you. You accept the counter or you counter back, you negotiate and you meet in the middle. Maybe your offer up front is 500 grand a fight. Maybe you settle at 750 a fight. But if you're Gennady Golovkin and you feel that Abel Sanchez isn't necessarily going to make you any better or anything like that, and you want to make a change in camp or you're open to it at least, um, you don't accept that counter, right? And you move on. And that's what he did. My thing is, why make it about money? If Gennady Glovkin wanted to move on and he wanted to train with someone else or be in a different location, train in Los Angeles or whatever it is, be closer to his family. By the way, 
I'm also hearing, and I, I'm not going to give details on this, but some things changed in camp around the Canelo fights, both Canelo fights, around uh, the time when Gennady had a second kid. Things were a little different. Camp was run differently, and things aren't quite the same as they used to be. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, again, I don't know how much of this matters, but in the end, if you want to move on, don't make it about money. Just straight up say, look, dude, I want to make a change. That's it. Don't make it about money. Same thing for Abel Sanchez. Don't make it about money. If, if you feel you're being lowballed and you feel that uh, it's a slap in the face what you're being offered, make a counter. If he turns it down, that's it. You know what I'm saying? Um, we'll never know what the exact numbers are or anything like that, but I'd have to think that there's, just, there's two different ways to look at this. Someone like Tom Lawler looks at it like, I'm going to take less money and still be associated with Gennady Golovkin, one of the best middleweights uh, we've seen in years. And I'm going to continue to work with this guy. Or you could be, take the Abel Sanchez approach. I'm not going to get lowballed. I'm part of what got you to where you're at. So don't disrespect me and lowball me. I'm going to, I'm going to walk away. So it's just a difference of opinion. I will say this. There's a lot of internet experts out there right now saying that Golovkin made Sanchez not the other way around. I understand what you're saying. The fighter, unless a, a trainer takes someone from when they're a kid and, and develops them their whole career, you look at what the Reynosos have done with Canelo. They've really helped make Canelo. They really have. Now, Canelo's made them millionaires, but in this case, Golovkin decorated amateur, was already a titleist by the time he got to Abel Sanchez. I think what, there's some technical things Abel Sanchez did with Golovkin, but what Sanchez really did for Golovkin was brand him. The whole Mexican style thing, the whole marketing and appealing to the Mexican American fan base in Los Angeles, dude, that was Abel Sanchez. The, the big drama show and all that, that was Abel Sanchez. Tom Loeffler too, but that, that trio, that's what helped make Gennady Golovkin. Now, Gennady got punched in the damn face. He bled, he sweat, he destroyed his body. He uh, took years off his life as part of that process. Tom Loeffler and Abel Sanchez did not do that. But Gennady Golovkin, his brand was way down here when he got to America. I've told you guys the story about going to some of the first pressers for Golovkin, and there was a dozen people there. Within three, four years, there's over 100 people there at the pressers. Tiffany and I watched this dude's career grow, and a big, big part of that was Tom Loeffler and Abel Sanchez. And Abel Sanchez, being Mexican-American, did help open the gates a little bit for Gennady to market to that Mexican-American fan base. That's the fan base holding down boxing in America in the boxing hot market of Los Angeles. Los Angeles runs boxing in North America. It's every bit as big as the UK scene is, right? It's better gym, best gym scene in the world. So he had a big part of that. And maybe Gennady, again, I'm just playing psychologist here. I don't, I don't know. But maybe Gennady looked at it like, Okay, Tom, Abel, you guys got yours on the back end with those Canelo fights. I owed you guys that. You guys really are part of what made me where I, what I became. And I would not be making $50 million in a couple years without you two. You guys really helped 
bridge the communication gap and market me and move me in a certain way. I owe you guys that. But after the Canelo fights and the restructuring and this whole thing with the zone, I think Lovkin's looking at it like, I don't know you guys dick anymore. You got yours with the Canelo fights. You got millions of dollars and you, for going along on that ride. We all, you know, everything's funny when you're making money. But now I'm the brand. I'm the guy, top five brand in the sport, maybe top three brand in the sport. He might be, Golovkin might be right behind um, Canelo and AJ. He might be the third biggest brand in the sport. DAZN certainly thinks so. So I think now he's just basically restructuring business-wise, numbers-wise, and priority-wise. I think he wants to keep more money and start planning for his promotional career. I, you know, that makes me a little worried about him as a fighter. And I, I don't know how that's going to affect him in the ring, especially if he ends up fighting the winner of Canelo Jacobs, right? I think that might end up very badly for him if he's already thinking business and thinking down the line. But he's restructuring things. And you could either roll with it or you could not. Loeffler is rolling with it. Abel said, no thanks. And that's it. That's it. It's, it's really that simple, guys. It's a business thing, okay? So that's it with news and notes. Let's, uh, let's get to some of these questions here. Let me look at my notes as I drink my, my bubble, my sparkling, my sparkling water here. These things are so good, and they're, they're only a dollar, and there's no sugar. I love these things. I love the bubbles. Okay. <laughs> Shelton Film Productions asks, who are some possible options for Triple G as a trainer? Okay, good question, dude. And that, that's the obvious question, right? I think Robert Garcia would be a natural fit. That's an Oxnard. Uh, they don't have to train an Oxnard, but they could. Because um, Robert Garcia doesn't own that gym anymore, but I think he still works out of that gym. He sold it to Aegis Clemus. But I think that'll be easier to get to for Gennady. You know, he lives in Santa Monica. He could go right up the coast to get up there to Oxnard. He could be back home hour and a half as opposed to Big Bear, which probably takes him two and a half hours. Um, so if you wanted to do a camp where he goes home on the weekends to see his new baby and that kind of stuff, he could do it. So I also think that Robert Garcia, from a marketing perspective and just style-wise, I think would work for him. Rudy Hernandez is a name that's being thrown around. I think he'd be a great fit for Golovkin as well, except he's a very disciplined kind of trainer. Um, kind of a boot camp kind of feel, you know what I'm saying? And I don't think Golovkin at this point in his career is going to want that. I also think that, you know, I talked about that Oxnard gym. Um, Anatoly Lomachenko, last year's trainer of the year. Why not work with him? Why not train with Vasily Lomachenko, Oleksandr Usyk, and all of those killers that train with, the, with that crew? That would be huge. So it really depends on what Gennady wants to do. But I think my top two choices, Robert Garcia, Anatoly Lomachenko. As far as proximity and you know, location, I, I think Robert Garcia is going to be the best fit because I don't think Lomachenko is always in the States. But uh, you know, I, I, I just think Gennady at this point wants to be close to home. So yeah, my top overall pick, Robert Garcia. I think his brother is going to train him for this fight with Steve Rolls. And then he'll settle on a trainer. All right, Think Cap says, what's up? How does Jacobs beat Canelo? Okay, Jacobs, I don't see Jacobs knocking Canelo out because you're not going to hurt Canelo to the chin. 
And Jacobs, if he tries to go down to the body, he's going to get tagged because he's going to have to reach real low to get down to Canelo's body. The only way he can win this fight is to box the shit out of him and clearly, and I mean clearly, win eight or nine rounds. It's in Las Vegas. So three rounds, two, three rounds are already up for Canelo. In the close rounds, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying that to try to make the fight sound shady, but it just, guys, it's, it's Las Vegas, and Canelo is the new Floyd Mayweather. It is what it is. Jacobs has to stay on the outside, box, and turn the hell out of Canelo. Spin him. One, two, spin. Jab, 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 spin. All day. All day. Got to stay on the outside. Canelo is going to come in and try to punch to the body. You got to see that while he's coming in. You got to tag the shit out of him coming in, pepper him, and when he gets close, hold him. Jacobs has to make it an ugly, agonizing fight to watch. That's the truth. Ed Keller asks, does Ruiz represent Mexico or USA? Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, Andy Ruiz is American. Um, If he was born in Mexico, he's lived in America for much of his life. So I think he represents both countries. John Uden asks, what has caused fans' current obsession with talking about fighters' money? Do you think promoters are using the boxing media to add fuel to that fire? Yes. I think that Floyd Mayweather didn't start it, but he he got in tune with people talking about, quote-unquote, business and being fanagers, as I like to call them. That's fan managers, fanagers. Most of these YouTube channels are fanagers, and they speculate about money, and they speculate about purse splits and in network revenue and all this kind of shit guys in the media we have to talk about it and report about it because it's part of the story but a lot of these managers obsess over it mayweather used that sort of sentiment to stall delay fights negotiate fights that really weren't that big and make them seem bigger to get more money basically to manipulate gullible fans into prospering for himself and promoters have seen that and they've dug in all of them any of them any of them who tell you guys that they're not doing that are full of shit every single one of them and some promoters obviously are much worse about it than others but you see more and more fighters trying to do the floyd thing trying to negotiate fights on twitter and get people talking look Amir Khan, let me, let me give you guys just an example of how this shit works. Amir Khan basically quit against Terrence Crawford a week or so ago, right? He got punched in the thigh, maybe the side of his ball got clipped, and he quit. He didn't give it the five-minute break. He just looked at, the, at his corner and said, he said nah, I'm, I'm done. I think he took 30 seconds, and that was it, right? He immediately goes on to Twitter and social media and starts posting, I, the fight was just getting heated up. I was just finding my groove. I, I could win. There should be a rematch. It should be a, a no contest. And there are actually fans supporting him. Now, 90% of people are saying, you've lost your freaking mind. But there are some diehard Amir Khan fans and or Terrence Crawford slash Bob Arum haters who are taking Amir Khan's side. No matter what the hell you say, somebody on social media will believe you. There's the fringes of all sorts of wackiness exist on Twitter, right? So you can stall a fight, delay a fight, or use social media to, uh, to your advantage if that's what you want to do, if you want to manipulate people. And yes, I do think promoters, the networks, 
And of course, the fighters themselves are all uh, pushing that stuff, whether they mean to or not. I think most of them don't mean to. They don't understand what they're doing, the impact of what they're doing. But some of them absolutely are doing it with intent. And these managers, they are all in on it. Jack Alter asks, what's up, Jack? How you doing, man? Uh, I still need to watch some more of your sparring. I watched a few of your clips. I got to watch a few more, man. Uh, you go into Triple G versus Rolls at MSG. I got ringside tickets. and It will be my first fight to see in person. Dude, congrats. There's nothing like seeing live boxing. If you're truly ringside, if you're close to the ring, you're going to love it, dude. And I know you're a huge Triple G fan. So, look, that's the thing with that matchup. Is that the matchup everybody wants? No. But if... You're a fan of Triple G. You're going to go. You're going to watch. Just like if you're a fan of Canelo, you're, you went to watch him, uh, you went to see him fight Fielding, or you watched it on the zone. So this is going to be the big drama show. It's going to be old school Golovkin against a B-level guy that he should beat the shit out of. We'll see. But, um, Jack, I think you're going to have a good time. Um, I probably am not going to that event just because we have too much going on with the house. If something changes, I will absolutely let you guys know. Maybe I can get up for that one. We shall see. But I think uh, we might be in Detroit on that day. So, um, yeah, I think we're coming back from Detroit. June 15, right? Yeah. yeah. So I'll be, uh, I'll be in I Detroit. I will be 40. I will be 40 when Golovkin fights uh, Steve Rolls. I will be flying back from Detroit back to Atlanta here. Okay, Rockstar1996 says, Pro Gray versus Taylor, who you got? Great fight as long as Taylor beats the beast, Ivan Baranchek. Dude, I'm going to get to that in just a minute, all right, when I get to the review. But yes, that is maybe one of the, the it could be the best fight we get this year in 2019, seriously. Drazu asks, do you think it was a good idea for Triple G to split from Abel Sanchez? You know, time will tell, bro. Time will tell. It's simply too soon to, to know. Um, look, we thought Sergey Kovalev was done, right? Done. He had, he had lost to Ward and he lost to uh, Alvarez. Stopped both times. We thought he was done. He gets with Teddy Atlas. And did Teddy Atlas teach him anything new? No. But just somehow their chemistry works. Teddy got through to Sergey, broke through, got into his brain, got him to relax, to train, to box. And he looked great in the rematch against Alvarez. And I think he's going to beat Anthony Yard in Russia later this year. Uh, could something like that happen with Golovkin? Where he comes back and fights, let's say Canelo beats Jacobs. And he fights Canelo later this year and wins with a different trainer. With, with, let's say it's with Robert Garcia. It's certainly possible. But he might also go in there and get destroyed. That could happen too. And then maybe him breaking from Abel won't look so good. At this stage of his career, it might not matter who the hell he trains with. It really might not. It just might be his age and also his level of focus and dedication might not be where it is. I've heard some things about Gennady Golovkin over the last few days, over the weekend. Uh, I'm telling you guys, the camps, from what I'm hearing to people that were in that camp, the camps for both Canelo fights, including the first one, weren't quite the same as the camps for... Several of the guys he fought before are coming up. Lemieux, even Jacobs, those sorts of fights, right? Uh, the intensity and some of the things after the first Canelo fight, especially for the Canelo rematch, uh, uh, certain things changed. 
attitude change. And that might be what's going on here. We just got to see. All right, one more, then we'll get to the review. Harrison Property asked, do you see Billy Joe Saunders' fold, future unfolding in the next few years? I don't know what the hell to think about Billy Joe Saunders. He's a complete waste of time. His career has been one letdown after another. He had one shining, sparkling moment, and that was against David Lemieux. Then he got busted for performance-enhancing drugs, and he's pretty much just talked on Twitter and wasted everybody's time for much of his career. As far as I'm concerned, I could give a flying fuck. Until he gets in the ring and actually does something, I just don't care about the guy. Look, I criticize certain fighters who deserve it. I think Billy Joe Saunders deserves all the criticism he gets. He's just a waste of time. I hope to be proven wrong. I hope he goes to 168 and fights some top guys and does something legitimate. That'd be great, because the guy does have skills. Okay, let's review what we saw last week. We got a lot to review, and then we got the big one to preview. And then, of course, your guys' questions. Uh, Thursday, April 25th, Golden Boy Promotions on the Zone, Fantasy Springs Casino. It was a night of rematches. And uh, Yevis Ulessi Jr., as I told you guys he would, scores a unanimous decision win over Steve Claggett, avenging the only loss of his career. Uh, he fought Claggett a few years back and lost a split decision. And Joshua Franco ekes out a split decision win over Oscar, Oscar Negrete. Uh, they had a draw last October. Alexis Rocha, SoCal 21-year-old prospect, uh, proved a 13-0, goes 10 rounds for the first time, so he got in some work he needed. Friday, April 26, best card of the year. Top to bottom, best card of the year. Sad part, only about 5,000 fans in attendance to see it. This was a matchroom. Matchroom was the lead promoter, but Thompson Boxing also had a piece of it. But this was Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. And I'm telling you, he had a great card here, and he couldn't sell it. He, he's got to learn how to uh, promote in the United States. And he admits that. He admits that it's way different than promoting in the UK. And, you know, I've talked about this on, on this channel, and some of you got UK guys take it the wrong way. You take it as I'm putting down the UK. I'm not. But the UK is very small, and you guys simply do not have, compared to America as a country, and you simply do not have as many entertainment options as we do here in America. You sure as hell don't have as many cable options, TV options, um, and, and sports options. You just don't. No other country in the world has the options we have here in America. We're spoiled. And you've got Estrada Rungvisai, their rematch, their first fight, at, uh, which was at the Forum, but it was being promoted by Tom Loeffler, who understands the market. He understands Los Angeles and, of course, the American market. And it had more fans. It had a bigger crowd because he knows how to market and promote a fight in America. It's different. Eddie Hearn will learn. He yearns to learn. So he will get it. But only 5,000 fans. Kind of a disappointment, man. Okay. Um, in the Coco main, Jesse Vargas scores a KO6 win over Humberto Soto. This was at 154 pounds. Soto was dropped in the sixth round and stopped standing. Before that, there was some good back and forth. Soto said he just went balls deep. He went for it. Balls to the wall. He landed some good shots. But in the end, this was a 38-year-old versus a 29-year-old. A guy who's 5'11 versus a guy who's 5'7, right? So eventually science and math had its way and the bigger more physical guy even though he's not known as a power puncher got his opponent out of there uh jesse vargas by the way severely grossly overpaid 
for this fight. He was overpaid. But Eddie Hearn, just to sign a name, had to overpay this dude. So Jesse Vargas, really, you want to talk about a guy who's hit the lottery in this sport. He's, he's made a lot of money that his market value and level as a fighter certainly does not rate. He's one of those guys who's not as much as someone like Adrian Broner, but kind of in that world. Co-main, a fight of the year candidate between Daniel Roman and TJ Doheny. So Roman wins a majority decision and he claims the IBF title on top of his WBA title. Of course, this was super bantamweight. Uh, the scores were 116-110 twice and Edward Hernandez Sr. scored at 113-113. Doheny was dropped twice in the second and 11th rounds. So that means Edward Hernandez Sr. had Doheny winning seven rounds in this fight. Guys, I'm sorry. That's just not the fight I saw. I saw this as a close competitive fight. Don't get me wrong. But I thought that Daniel Roman clearly won seven, maybe eight rounds. You really could. The closest I could score this was six rounds apiece. But I, I just thought Roman did the better work throughout. And a lot of people thought that this was a razor-thin win. I just didn't see it that way. I have no problem with the 116-110 scores. And I know a lot of you were upset by those scores. That is essentially eight rounds to four with the two knockdowns. I could, you could see Daniel Roman clearly winning eight rounds in this fight. Now, if you prefer some of the things Doheny was doing, maybe the closest you could have this would again be six rounds apiece and then the two knockdowns. But um, for Edward Hernandez to score it a draw, I just thought that was a bad card and I'm not sure what the hell he was watching. But for uh, TJ Doheny, all heart, man. I mean, this guy has brass balls. That had to be a broken nose. He, was, he took a lot of punishment, never stopped trying. He hurt Daniel Roman late. And I thought that the, the referee in there helped Daniel Roman a little too much by separating the fighters and giving him a break when he didn't need to. Um, but uh, Roman, to his credit, survived that and finished strong. But do I want to see these two fight again right away? No, but maybe somewhere down the line. Either way, I want to see both of them again. I want to see the Irishman slash Australian. I want to see him again because that guy just symbolizes the best in boxing as far as the heart and determination. Not the most skilled guy, but man, what balls on that kid. Daniel Roman has really blossomed as a fighter. And he said it after this fight. He wants Ray Vargas next. Ray Vargas, the Mexican who has the WBC title. Daniel Roman doesn't duck anybody. He symbolizes, again, the best in boxing. Uh, both of these guys, both of these fighters do. They were very, very um, positive with each other after the fight. They gave each other compliments. It was just class all the way from both of these guys. And now for Roman calling out Ray Vargas, I want to see that shit. And there's no reason it can't happen. The politics of the sport should not block it from happening. I want to see Roman Vargas. I want to see it late this year. Give Roman some time to rest up. This was a tough fight. But why the hell, why, why couldn't we see Roman Vargas in Los Angeles in, let's say, November? There's no reason we can't. That fight goes to the zone, makes a ton of sense, and it completely unifies that division and crowns a legit champion in that division. Let's see it. I'm going to start banging the drums for that shit. You guys need to do it too on social media. Main event, Juan Francisco Estrada beats uh, Sri Saketsu Rungvisai. 
112 and 115, 113 twice, takes that WBC uh, super flyweight title. This was another one that a lot of people scored really, really tight, and I just don't know what you guys were seeing. Watching it live, I scored it eight rounds to four for Estrada, and I was being kind to Rungvisai. I gave a couple of swing rounds, an earlier swing round to Rungvisai that could have very well went Estrada's way. This was a 9-3, eight rounds to four win for Estrada. Rungvisai turned it on late. He switched uh, back to Southpaw. He was fighting Orthodox the whole fight, which made absolutely no goddamn sense. If you're gonna try that for a round or two, cool. If it's not working and you're being shut out through seven or eight rounds, clearly you need to change something. This should have changed something in the third round. When he did switch his stance, the fight suddenly got competitive and suddenly his angles were giving Estrada problems. Estrada is a damn good boxer. He is a guy that before the loss to Rungvisai, I had at the very bottom of my pound for pound list. I, I, I had him right there in the bubble of that list and he was there for years. However, when Rungvisai switched up angles, he landed some shots and he showed you that Estrada can be tagged and he's not perfect, right? He does have some flaws as a fighter, but he, he pulled it out. This was a clear win for him because Rungvisai made it interesting late and because they make for such good fights. Sure, let's run it a third time. Let's do it again right back at the forum. Why not? It makes a lot of sense. If Roman and Vargas fight late this year, maybe do a third fight between Estrada and Rungvisai as the co-main. Why the hell not? It makes too much damn sense. Or do it early next year if the guys need the rest. That's understandable. But um, I got to tell you, I'm starting to wonder if the whole Rungvisai thing was... I'm not going to say smoke and mirrors, but there are some people saying that Rungvisai suddenly got old overnight or whatever. And that can happen. That could happen. I just wonder if, look, Estrada fought hurt in that first fight. He was, he was not, he was not 100%. He had injuries. In this rematch, he was 100%, and he sure as hell looked it. He looked a lot better. I didn't see any adjustments or improvements for, from Rungvisai. The level that we saw from Estrada was the level that I remember when he fought Chocolatito back in Chocolatito's prime. And that just shows you how special Chocolatito was in his prime. Rungvisai fought an old, beat-up, worn-out Chocolatito, and that's who he beat. And then he beat a very injured, less than 100%, using his words, a 60% version of Estrada. So I'm just wondering if we were seeing a little bit of a, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but if, if Rungvisai isn't quite as good as we thought he was. I don't want to play Monday morning quarterback, as they say, and I'm not going to sit here and say that Rungvisai, um, of course, there's people on the internet saying he's a bum, and which is idiocy. He's clearly one of the best top 20, top 15 fighters in the world. But I don't know, man. If they fight a third time, just based on what I saw in this rematch, I like Estrada to win even wider. But I've been proven wrong before. So anyway, I'd like to see him do it a third time. Estrada says he'd like to unify with one of the other champions. I welcome that too. Put all these guys together on a card, regardless of who they fight. Have them fight on the same card, so if they both win their next fights, they can do a third fight next year. I think that would be great. All right. Um, also, a lot of action Saturday, man. The Zone killed it this weekend. 
Saturday, April 27th at the Cajun Dome in Lafayette, Louisiana, World Boxing Super Series Season 2 doubleheader. Nonito Donier, all 36 years of him, scores the knockout of the year so far, and I don't know if that one's going to be topped. Picture-perfect textbook left hook that sends late replacement Stephen Young down in the sixth round. He did not get up. It was beautiful. And now Nonito Donaire, who after the fight says he would prefer to fight Naoya Inoue, will fight the winner between Inoue and Emmanuel Rodriguez, probably going to be Inoue. And that fight between the finals will likely be over in Japan. Not necessarily, but you have to think the economics of the thing a fight late this year between Inoue and Donaire over in Japan makes a lot of sense, and it's going to be hella fun. Look, I, I know a lot of people think that Do Donaire is just going to get absolutely bulldozed in three rounds. No one does that to him. The only guy who ever did that to him was uh, uh, Nicholas Walters, who was a big, strong, strapping, busting-at-the-seams featherweight who ended up moving up in weight anyway, right? This is 118 pounds. Say what you will about Inoue. He hasn't faced an elite level fighter yet. He hasn't faced a fighter nearly half as experienced as Nonito Donaire. I do favor him to beat Rodriguez. Let's see how he looks in that fight. But a fight between Donaire and Inoue will be competitive. Obviously, I favor the monster. It's just how it works. The younger guy should stop the old man. It's how it works. But one of you guys on Twitter earlier today made a great comparison. You said, this might have a little bit of Klitschko and Joshua to it. Joshua Klitschko, where you got the old man and the heir apparent. I like that comparison. Obviously, styles and everything different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just in terms of old guy who's been there, done that, we'll have a chance. We'll have a puncher's chance. Because if that left hook lands on the monster, we haven't seen him take no big shots. We don't know. Right, so there's always a chance, and I'm going to be watching that damn fight. And if he fights Rodriguez, if Rodriguez scores the upset of the year and beats Inoue, well then Donaire Rodriguez, I'm there too. In the main event, Regis Program improved the 24-0, 20 knockouts, stops Belarus uh, native Kirill Relic, uh, wins the WBA 140-pound title, and now he is set up to fight the winner between Josh Taylor and Ivan Baranchek. So. Um, Taylor, I'm just looking at Josh Taylor and Regis Progre. And to Progre's credit, after this fight, they said, who do you want between Baranchek and Taylor? He said, I'll take either, but I want Taylor because everyone keeps saying he can beat me. I look at their resumes. Taylor has already beat Victor Polstol. That's a better win than, than Regis Progre has on his resume so far. It is. Victor Polstol, former titleist, uh, good quality, top 10 level fighter, right? Carol Relic, though, might be on the level. I, I don't quite rate him as high as Victor Postal, though, but he's in, he's in the discussion. He's kind of at that level. But so far, I'll give Taylor the better win overall, the, the way he beat Postal. I think that's a good quality win. The Baranchek fight, though, that's going to be tough. I do favor Taylor to win. The reason why I favor him to win so big, and a lot of you guys out there think Baranchek is a killer and he stands a real good chance, and I understand that, but... Baranchek, how focused is, is this dude? He was out of the tournament, then he's in. Then he's out, then he's in. Then he's out, then he's in, right? He's back in the tournament now. How focused is he for that fight? I just don't know if he's 100% focused. So I like Taylor to beat Baranchek. But so far, you got you to gotta like Taylor, and especially if you include the amateur pedigree, you got to like Taylor's resume just a bit more than Progre. 
But in terms of pro-style, pro-style fighting, I slightly favor Progray over Taylor right now. Let's wait and see what happens between uh, Taylor and Baranchek. But if they were to fight right now, I would favor Progray to beat Taylor probably behind on the cards and pull it out late to beat Taylor. But I'm telling you guys right now, it's probably going to be Progray and Taylor in the final. Is there a better fight that we're going to get in boxing this year? I don't think so. We're not going to get the fights that we want. We're not going to get Spence and Crawford. We're not going to get uh, Wilder and Joshua. And we're probably going to get Canelo Golovkin 3. But I'm telling you right now, Progray Taylor, better fight than Canelo Golovkin 3. Yeah, I'm saying it. I'm not stuttering. I'm not blinking. Better fight top to bottom. That is probably the best fight that could be made this year. And both guys will be undefeated, young, in their physical prime. They will be doing what Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford don't have the balls to do right now. How crazy is that? Okay, uh, one other card to talk about, and I'm going to skip over this as quickly as I can. At the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, there was a Showtime card, and Robert Easter and Rancis Bartholomew fought for a version of the WBA lightweight title, even though Lomachenko is the real champion. The WBA is disgusting and somehow gave these guys... I mean, Easter is coming off a loss. I think Bartholomew is coming off a loss, and yet they're fighting for a version of that title. And they turned in the most horrible fight we have seen in probably over a decade. The most terrible, shitty, disgusting pile of shit fight for a title, a version of a title that we have seen in well over a decade. These two, both fighters, okay? This isn't one fighter. Both of them combined to land 106 punches over 12 rounds. So if you do the math, obviously, you know that that's not even 10 punches a round. And that's not one fighter. That's both. So not even five punches around average landed by these two fighters. Absolutely disgusting. If you're a subscriber to Showtime, you should get your money back this month. That was shit. In the um, co-main, Victor Postal won a WBC 140-pound eliminator. So at some point, he's going to fight Jose Ramirez. And let me tell you, Grandpa Bob will make sure that fight is over in Fresno, where Ramirez is from. And, you know, the crowd and everything will help him out. But Postal, very live dog in that fight. Very live dog. And heavyweight prospect F.A. Ajagba scores a TKO2 win to improve to 10-0 with nine knockouts. Also, earlier in the day, over in uh, London at Wembley, Daniel Dubois improved to 11-0 with 10 knockouts with a TKO4 win. That is it with the review, guys. Uh, let's see what we got as far as questions here. As I have another sip of my drink, Oleg Abatini asks, when am I going to do the next Ask Me Anything? Give me a few weeks, bro. Let me get moved into my house and get my studio built and uh, turn 40 and go to Detroit to be in my homeland for my 40th birthday and everything. But yeah, probably after that. It's coming, bro. I definitely want to do one and uh, show you guys the, the house and everything else. It's coming. Uh, Johnny Boy ask who quit worse amir khan in the ring or charlie sheen on the powder this is the question laugh my fucking ass off <laughs> is char did charlie sheen quit the powder i don't know about that man i don't know that guy him and uh who the hell is the guitar player for the rolling stones keith richards 
will be the last two people alive on Earth after the nuclear apocalypse. They have so much shit pumping through their veins. They're the only ones. It's going to be them, and that's pretty much it after a nuclear bomb drops. Ozzie asks, Michael, what do you think about Klitschko's mysterious tweet? Uh, good question. So Vladimir Klitschko uh, tweeted, I think it was, what, the two-year anniversary of his fight with AJ. And he said, even though I didn't get the W, I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact words, um, even though I didn't get the win, uh, this fight was awesome, and uh, it, it helped fuel my obsession to becoming a champion again. And he spoke in terms that made it sound like his boxing career is still going. He didn't say, like, my, my goals back then when I, during my career. He said my goals right now. Like, he was talking to, like, it was present tense. So a lot of people took that as him hinting at a comeback. There is so much money to be made. Check this out. You got Deontay Wilder, who's looking for a dance partner for Showtime pay-per-view. You've got uh, Anthony Joshua looking for a dance partner at The Zone. And then over in the UK, it'd be pay-per-view. And then you've got um, Tyson Fury at ESPN. They're looking for a dance partner, Grandpa Bob, to take him to ESPN pay-per-view. Now, if you're Vladimir Klitschko, you've got three options to come back and make a cool 20-plus million bucks. Does he need the money? No. But would you turn down that kind of money? He could probably get it. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if he came back. I'm just saying, man, who knows? Michael Barrios, MJB Taco, asks, do you think there's any trainer that could truly make a difference in Triple G's career at this point? No, I, I just don't. I, from, again, certain things I can't go on the record with, but just based on certain things I'm hearing, guys, it just looks like Triple G, number one, Screwed over by the system. I've talked about this before, and he's going to do shit his way now. But he's also really looking into the future and his career as a promoter, uh, his career post-retirement. So he's planning all that. And when a fighter starts planning their retirement, and, and you, you should set up plans. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't. You, have, you absolutely should. But when you're making financial deals now to allocate more money for your promotions company to go buy fighters and bring them over here now when you should be in training camp, training, um, it just makes me think that one foot's out the door already and he's going to get his now on the back end after getting screwed by the system and playing the game everybody else's way. These next couple years, he's going to do things his way. But no one's going to show him any new tricks. I mean, there's always something a guy can show you, right? But like, is he going to learn a new skill? Is he going to fight a different style? No. And I just think that's why Robert Garcia would work for him. Robert Garcia is just going to get him in shape. He basically needs a dude to get him in shape and more than anything, get him motivated. What Teddy Atlas did for Sergey Kovalev was get him focused and motivated for Edladir Alvarez for that rematch. That's what Golovkin needs. It's hard to be focused when you've got three kids at home, when you're a huge international brand, when you've got the Jordan brand and you've got uh, what's the watch company and all these different brands that uh, Golovkin sponsors with. Right. So he's, he's on the phone with these business people all the time. He's got managers and, and, and publicists and, you know, network people and all this stuff going on. It's hard to be focused on just fighting. You go back five years ago. That's all Golovkin did. It's much different now. So he just needs somebody who can focus his ass and get him in shape. That's it. And I think Robert Garcia can do that. Johnny Boy asks, Mike, 
Is Triple G Canelo 3 going to happen in the fall? I know you mentioned this several times, but Oscar says Triple G needs to get a title. I still think it's going to happen this fall. If um, that, Look, Oscar saying what he's saying, Canelo saying what he's saying, that Triple G needs to have a title, blah, blah, blah. This is just the manipulation on social media that I was talking about earlier. The bottom line is nobody's going to make Canelo more money than Triple G. And DAZN wants subscribers. They're paying out all this money. They want people to subscribe to the damn app. Anytime Canelo fights, it's good for business. But if Canelo fights Golovkin, it's really good for business. So I think the folks at DAZN are going to make a strong push. If the rubber match gets pushed to next year, it'll only be if there's some sort of situation worked out where uh, Canelo fights, let's say, Andre. And Golovkin fights, I don't know who, off the top of my head, somebody at that level. And the winners of those two fights fight next May. You know, maybe they work out a deal like that. Other than that, though, I think it's, I still believe it'll happen this year. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Rockstar1996 asks, Estrada in the top five pound for pound now. He is on my list. I got to think about it. To be honest with you guys, I did not rate Rungvisai in my top five. I had Rungvisai toward the bottom end of my top ten. But Estrada's certainly on the bubble. But off the top of my head, let's see, who is it? Um, it is Lomachenko and Crawford. It is Usyk. It is, um, who am I forgetting? It is Canelo. And then um, yeah, Golovkin's up there. I know I'm forgetting somebody. But, I mean, your top five is pretty set, Right. Then after that, it's your Spence, it's your Estrada. You know, it's guys that's that lower half of the top 10. To me, he's in that crowd. I don't know if I'd put him up there with Lomachenko, Crawford, Usyk. What is, this is going to sound disrespectful to some of you guys, but look at his career recently. What has he done? He, he did beat Rungby Sai in a rematch. That's one fight. Look at his other opponents recently, Okay. Uh, I just has he done more than Usyk has done over the last two years? Has he done more than Canelo or uh, Golovkin even? Or certainly has he done as much as Lomachenko or Crawford you know, over the last two three years? I don't think so. I, he's just under that level for me. But again, he's been on the bubble for me on my top ten list for years. And now since he beat Rungvisai, who I had maybe eight nine somewhere in there. Now he's above that level. He's maybe six or seven on my list. Okay, let's see. One more, and then we're going to get to the preview. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Devin Cruz, what are some rules you would change in boxing? Well, shit. How long can I go here? Um, I made a video on this a couple years ago. The number one thing, if I could change in boxing, I'm just going to go one. One thing. One thing if I could change it overnight. I would get rid of the junior and super divisions. I would eliminate all of them. Junior this, super that, that to me would instantly double or triple the talent pool in every division. So I would keep your classic eight plus cruiserweight and I think strawweight or minimum weight. Um, but even, you know what? I'd maybe even do away with strawweight. I'd start at flyweight. So a flyweight, bantamweight, featherweight, lightweight, uh, welterweight, Middleweight, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, heavyweight. That's it. Boom. If I could do that overnight, boxing would be in a way better place. I just, I just feel that the competition level would be amazing. 
Okay, let's get into the preview, guys. We got uh, a big one to preview real quick, and then we'll get to some more questions. But uh, Thursday, May 2nd, Hard Rock Hotel, Las Vegas, Golden Boy Promotions on Facebook. Watch Yamaguchi Falcao, 2012 uh, Olympian for Brazil, will be on that card. And Eric Bazinyan, Bazinyan uh, Canadian-Armenian, who's 23 years old, super middleweight prospect. He's undefeated. They're both undefeated. They'll be on that card. Saturday, May 4th, there is a top-ranked show on ESPN from Stockton, California. Jerwin and Kahas fighting Japanese fighter Ryuichi Funai. This is a defense of Ankahas, his IBF 115 or super flyweight title. Uh, Ankahas had a draw in his last fight. And Funai, this is his first fight outside of Japan. He's been stopped three times. A lot of times these Japanese guys will come over to the States and they'll fight till they're burger, right? They are tough as hell. But I just looked at this guy's resume. Ankahas didn't really look good in his last fight. And it kind of seems to have lost a little steam. This is good matchmaking. Good matchmaking by top rank to score a good, emphatic, excited win for Ankahas. I think that's what we're going to see. Also on this card, Arthur Baturbiev fighting. Whew, this is a good, tough one. Uh, Rajivo Radovoje Kalajic. Radovoje Kalajic defending his IBF light heavyweight title. Arthur Baturbiev has been pro for six years. This is his 14th pro fight. Time to get busy, dude. Um, it's, it's a shame that it's taken till May 4th to do your first fight of this year. He only had one fight in 2017, one fight in 2018. He needs to have three damn fights this year. And for, uh, Kalajic, he had a draw with Marcus Brown in 2016. That's the only time I've really seen him step up. This is a step up. But if he had a draw with Marcus Brown, maybe this guy's legit and he can give, uh, Baturbiev some problems. So, uh, that should be interesting. Okay, the big one, obviously. T-Mobile Arena, Las Vegas. Right here, Canelo Alvarez, Daniel Jacobs, the cover story on the last issue, latest issue of Boxing Monthly Magazine. Um, in the main event, Saul Canelo Alvarez going up against Daniel Jacobs. In the uh, undercard, the co-main, I think, um, Virgil Ortiz going up against Mauricio Herrera. Ortiz is from Dallas, Texas, 21 years old, 5'10", Busting at the seams. Mauricio Herrera, 38 years old, has lost five of his last nine. But he's very experienced. He's been in with everybody. So for Ortiz, who Golden Boy, this is their best prospect. One of the best American prospects right now in all of boxing. This is a step up in class for him. Herrera's just softened up enough where he should be able to learn on the job here have some tough moments, but pull out the W and look impressive doing it. In terms of experience, good step up for him, and he's going to be on a big stage here in Las Vegas. So obviously, this is some branding here from Golden Boy Promotions. Very smart to put Virgil Ortiz on this card. Pablo Cesar Cano coming off his TKO1 win over Jorge Linares in January. He is fighting Michael Perez uh, who's a good quality, decent fighter, I believe, out of New York, uh, that area of the country. But he loses when he steps up. I remember I saw him fight at the Belasco Theater a couple years back on one of those Golden Boy uh, fight night, fr I think, what do they call it, Friday fight night or something like that, uh, cards. And I just remember seeing, yeah, this guy's a good quality fighter, but he's just, just not quite A-level. So I like Kano to get the W here in that one. That, of course, is a 140-pound fight, 10 rounds. And Lamont Roach, Golden Boy prospect, going to be on the card. Saddam Ali, 
Also going to be on the card in 10 rounders. Let's talk about this main event. Saul Alvarez, 5'8". Daniel Jacobs, 5'11". 73-inch reach. Canelo has a 70-inch reach. So in terms of size and skill, Jacobs poses the biggest physical challenge of Canelo Alvarez's entire career. Now you look at their ages. Jacobs is 32. Alvarez is 28. 28 is a little misleading because Canelo's had a lot of fights and he's taken some punches in those Triple G fights and he started at a lower weight than Jacobs. Uh, but Jacobs also, look, man, he's, had, he's been stopped. He had a rough fight with Golovkin where he was dropped. He's been dropped in other fights. And uh, that battle with cancer had to take a little, you know, little age, a little, uh, couple years off his life. So he's probably a little older than 32 years old too. So Jacobs 32 is probably closer to 34. And Alvarez, his 28 is probably closer to 30. Okay. Last couple years, Canelo has fought Triple G twice and then Rocky Fielding, who in terms of body style, his size, his height and build and everything is comparable to Daniel Jacobs. So I guess in, a, in one way, that, that was good preparation for him. Uh, Jacobs, last couple of years, of course, he had to fight with Triple G. He fought uh, Luis Arias, he fought Sulecki, good quality fighter, and Sergei Derevyanchenko, good quality fighter. And in terms of build, uh, Derevyanchenko is kind of built like Canelo. So that was kind of good preparation, just short, stocky kind of guy, kind of built like Canelo. So all things considered, this is a great matchup that I think is kind of sliding under the radar for a lot of you guys. These are the two of the top three middleweights in the world. I rate Canelo as the number one middleweight in the world right now. I rate Triple G number two, and I rate Daniel Jacobs number three. Over the last two years, those have been the three top middleweights in the world. Seriously, however you rate them, however you change the order, those have been the two or the top three. So you get a fight here between the top th uh, two of the top three, and the winner will very likely fight Gennady Golovkin later this year. So this is a great matchup. What I see happening here, if I'm Canelo, they're going to fight the way they fought Rocky Fielding. Obviously, J Jacobs is light years better than Rocky Fielding. Hell, Steve Rolls is better than Rocky Fielding. I'd favor Steve Rolls to beat Rocky Fielding if they fought right now. But um, Alvarez just came forward and attacked the body, brutalized the body, right? And even the second Golovkin fight, came forward. Canelo can do some neat things boxing-wise, but I think he's better moving forward. And I think his head movement and, and all that stuff is really, really good and it's underrated. But getting inside on a tall guy like Jacobs and making it really uncomfortable for him, that is how Golovkin beat him. And Golovkin went to the body a little bit in that fight, but could have did it more. Canelo's going to go to the body a lot more than Golovkin did. And he's going to beat up that body. And I just think he scores a late stoppage in this fight. I think that he's going to, if you remember when Golovkin fought Jacobs, uh, he was kind of, I think Jacobs was on the ropes and he slid out and Golovkin kind of winged, I think it was a right hand, shot it wide, started low with it, came up high with it. Kind of a looping right hand. Caught Jacobs backing up, put him down. I think Canelo can land that same kind of punch. The difference is, He's going to go downstairs early, often, and hard. And that's going to drop Jacob's guard. And then later in the fight, he'll start bringing the punches upstairs. I think he could clip him. Because Jacobs is going to try to be on the outside and slide and move on the ropes. He needs to stay off the ropes. Jacobs needs to stay in the middle of the ring 
boxed the shit out of Canelo and turned him. Jacobs is the faster guy. His feet do move better, longer reach, uh, definitely the better athlete, I would say. So in the middle of the ring, he does have advantages. But if Canelo can dig to the body and start backing him up, push him into the ropes later in the fight, that is going to open up opportunities for Canelo to knock him down and knock him out. If Jacobs can spoil a little bit and hold and, and clinch and really make it a boring, more boring kind of fight to watch, that's going to have the Mexican-American fans booing, but that is his best chance to win. Anytime he's on the ropes, anytime Canelo's close, he needs to grab the dude and hold on. And you know what? Let the ref warn you. Let the ref keep warning you. If the ref takes a point, then you got to change. So it's up to the ref to kind of uh, monitor that. It's also up to Canelo to not allow Jacobs to clinch him. Work your way out of a clinch. Get one hand free. Work the body. Pound the shit out of Jacobs' back when he's clinching you with the other hand. Get your free hand and pound the shit out of his kidney when the ref can't see you. Those are the sort of things I think we're going to see. It's very possible this could go to distance. It could be kind of a stinker. But I just think down the stretch, Canelo is going to score the knockout. I just think Canelo right now is in his physical prime. He's peaking. And he's one of the top three or four, definitely top five fighters in the sport right now. And he might even be the top guy. We don't quite know. I don't, I don't rate him that high yet. But if he goes in there and stops Daniel Jacobs, that's very impressive, man. It just is. Other than that freak loss to um, Dimitri Pirog, who Pirog, very good fighter, criminally underappreciated, underrated by a lot of fans. Uh, but that was kind of a fluke. That was one time. Other than that, Jacobs has at least been competitive in his losses. He's been competitive in all of his fights. So he's a damn good fighter. All right, guys, that's how I see that one. Uh, let's see. Let's uh, get to some more questions here. 91 Reasons You Lose says, What's up, Mike? When is the zone going to be calling you, brother? I don't know, man. You guys, start. Maybe we need to make that the fee for next week. Let's blow up the zone and get those, those guys to give me a call. What the hell, man? I could certainly help their, their uh, broadcast. Uh, he said, Kind of irked me seeing K9, Dougie, and that other dude, you're referring to Michael Baca, on the zone, but not the best of the 10 count alumni. Get on that shit, brother. Hashtag the neutral corner. Uh, dude, thank you very, very much. And, and I'll admit, when I saw that, I got a little sad. Tiffany will tell you, I was a little bummed because I know if I was in LA, I would have been in that little feature, that little vignette. But that was just one of those things where proximity, man. But if they paid me to do some commentary or picked up the neutral corner, I'm just saying, something like that, um, you know, yeah, I, I would travel. I, I would make arrangements to travel for work. I would certainly do that. I think that at some point we build this thing up to a, to a level where these guys can't ignore me anymore. Right now it's just a matter of them just not knowing me. Some of them know me, some of them don't. Sebastian O asks, how do you like Miller's six-month suspension? Did Miller get suspended for six months? I did not see that. I know that he... He kind of got by with a loophole. The New York State Athletic Commission denied his license. And apparently, if you don't have a license, you can't be suspended. So he's kind of in this weird loophole thing. 
And I just wonder if somebody in his camp was aware of that rule and told him, dude, go ahead and juice. If you get busted here, you're going get to out, get out of it. You know, I don't know. If he did get a six-month suspension, then uh, I'll talk about that next week. I, I just don't know about it right now. That's not enough. So I'll have to see. Harrison Property, will Triple G fight Charlo before he retires? Dude, your guess is as good as mine. Charlo fights on PBC. Charlo and, and Al Heyman right now are not doing business with anybody outside of PBC. They are just flat out refusing to work with anybody. You guys have seen the interviews with Leonard Ellerby, uh, Tim Smith, several of those guys, when they were asked about uh, Terrence Crawford saying, Errol Spence has all these options here. We're not going to fight him. And he has options over there. We're not interested in that. No one wants to see that. What the hell are they talking about? They, they, are, they have their own plan right now. Does Charlo really want any of, of Triple G? I highly doubt it. Is he willing to go fight on the zone and make it so? If Maybe. But, uh, I, man, I see Canelo fighting Charlo before Triple G fighting him. I, anything's possible. But I tend, to, I tend to lean against it not happening. The Emperor Caesar asks, Montero, do you think a Jogba will become a world champion in the future? He has a lot of defensive flaws. You know, dude, it's, it's just gonna, it's gonna see, um, depend on how he takes a punch. We don't know. But right now he has the head movement of a corpse, right? So, you know, he blocks punches with his face. That works against the C-level fighters he's facing right now. But even against the B-level, like top 25 heavyweights, that could cost him. Imagine him fighting a guy like Dillian White right now. He'd get absolutely drilled. A lot of offensive firepower and everything else, yes. But kind of stiff, no defense. He needs rounds. He needs to get rounds in. Uh, Stephen Wade, Michael, is a Triple G Jacobs rematch still a possibility? Hell yeah, absolutely it's still a possibility. Why not? Uh, it just depends on the, um, the options and where these guys want to go. But they both fight in the zone. So look, if, if Golovkin fights Canelo, let's say Canelo beats Jacobs, Golovkin fights Canelo, loses the third fight with him, he could fight Jacobs next year. That's a lucrative fight, especially in New York. It makes sense. And the zone would definitely approve it. So yeah, there's absolutely a chance for that. Yoke Pushkin asks, thoughts on Ward's pound for pound list? Did Andre Ward do a pound for pound list? I haven't seen it. If he did, I'd be interested in seeing it. Um, I'd be curious. But dude, if, um, cause I haven't seen it. If you could post it in the chat, right? Real quick. And then I can answer your question. Cause I haven't seen it. Uh, Cleafus McDonald says, friend and family from Mexico say no one is watching the past Canelo fights, nor will they watch the Jacobs Canelo fight. Are you hearing the same thing? God bless Montero. I haven't heard that. Um, they're not. I've, Canelo does huge ratings in Mexico. Huge ratings. And I know a lot. No, I don't know if the Canelo Jacobs fight will do as well. I hope it does for the sake of boxing. But um, I know that Canelo's past fights have done very, very good numbers internationally. John Uden asked, do judges ever have to explain how they got their scores to the commissions? Only if there's an official investigation. There have been cases where commissions have brought judges in, watched a fight with the judge, scored it with them, done a review. The WBO just kind of did like an independent review of the uh, Mungia-Hogan uh, fight. So um, if they had found like, no way, Hogan won this fight wide, right? Then they may have brought the official judges in and, and talked with them. But 
from their findings, the, the scores were okay, so they didn't. But yes, there have been cases where that's happened. There have been cases where some judges have actually been suspended by some commissions. That has happened. As he asked, will Jacobs go southpaw against Canelo? If he gets desperate, I, I think if Jacobs goes southpaw against Canelo, especially if it's early on, maybe he's just going to be trying something just to see, just to see how it looks. But if he does it late, that to me is a sign of desperation. If he does it early, it's okay. If he does it late, he's getting desperate. That's just uh, how I see that. Nurkan Akhtayev asks, thanks for your amazing hard work, brother, watching it live from Hong Kong. Thank you for watching, bro. Hong Kong in the house. That's awesome, man. I really, really appreciate your support. I'm just trying to think, what time is it? It's got to be tomorrow morning over there. So uh, good morning. <laughs> Thanks for watching, man. Uh, Michael Mindiola. Uh, oh, Gail just posted. Okay, so Michael Mindiola listed a couple, but Gail Falkenthal, what's up, Gail? Uh, posted the whole list. He had Crawford 1, then Lomachenko, then Alvarez, then Usyk, then Inouye. Joshua Wilder, Spence, Garcia, Pacquiao. Wow. Okay. The top five I'm cool with. Um, maybe I'd switch the order around a little bit, but Crawford, Lomachenko, Alvarez, Usyk, Inouye. If that's your top five, I'm good with that. But the rest of that top, the, the second half of that is horrible. Joshua and Wilder should not be on the pound-for-pound pound list. You do not rate heavyweights on a pound-for-pound pound list until they have accomplished a lot. The last heavyweight that rated pound-for-pound pound was Vladimir Klitschko. The previous heavyweight before him that rated pound-for-pound pound was Lennox Lewis. Okay, Vitaly Klitschko wasn't pound-for-pound pound top 10 at any point in his career. Vladimir was later in his career. Uh, so, yes, Joshua and Wilder, until they fight each other... Neither of them is getting on the pound for pound list. So Andre should know that up front. That's just awful. Spence Jr., I'm fine with. He's in the top 10, certainly. Mikey Garcia is not. He's not a top 10 pound for... If you have him number 10, okay, I ain't mad at you. But to have Mikey Garcia above uh, Estrada, even Rungvisai, whoa, that's atrocious. And then Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao is still, is not, he's still a good fighter, but he's not a pound-for-pound pound level fighter anymore. He is not the guy that he was even five, six years ago when he was still hanging on to the pound-for-pound, pound, but he was past his prime. But man, there are several fighters out there that deserve a pound-for-pound pound list rating over Joshua, Wilder, Garcia, and Pacquiao. Several. So I would say Andre Ward's top five is solid. His bottom half of that top 10 list is atrocious, like atrocious, and he should know better. Okay, do we have any more questions? And by the way, Andre Ward has been doing a great job commentating on those ESPN cards. I think he's really developing into one of the, the better young commentators for a former fighter in the sport. And I think he's doing a very good job, but yes, Number six through ten on his list, the only one who belongs there is Spence. The rest, four guys on that list. Okay, one more question, and then we're, we're calling it, guys. Uh, Cleafus McDonald says, most of the Texas fighters like Spence and Charlos are backed by the LDBC. 
Did you try to interview them still when you went down to Texas? Uh, yeah. So, well, I, I've never interviewed the Charlos. I've covered Charlo fights and I've covered some of their press events. And I'm the one who is asking about drug testing for Jermel Charlo, or was it Jamal Charlo, when he knocked out um, J-Rock, Julian Williams. I was the only one who asked about drug testing. But um, as far as Spence, I've talked to Spence and his trainer, Derek James, on the phone. I know them. Uh, I did a, a piece in Boxing Monthly Magazine on Errol Spence last year. So yeah, I've spent time speaking with them. And, um, you know, I like Spence a lot. Um, the Charlos, I just think they need to prove themselves more. And Spence could prove himself more too. But I think Spence has more upside than the Charlos. But guys, I don't give a damn who is who is a fighter's promoter is or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm pretty fair across the board. And yeah, the LDBC guys are, you know, pretty biased, a lot of them. But, um, you know, I try to do the opposite thing on this channel and be cool and represent everybody. All right. So that is it for this version of the Neutral Corner episode 169. Remember your damn homework, guys. Likes. Likes. Okay. Like the videos. And uh, go back and watch the assumptions tag video. I gave some personal stories from my childhood on that response video that I think some of you will find very interesting. So go back and watch that. It's about 45 minutes long. Okay, guys. Uh, oh, we see King M uh, Kicks MGC says he uh, just got in, but he'll catch the replay. Yeah, catch the replay. The uh, Azia cheers, brother. The Emperor Caesar says I did my homework. Good job. Good job. Did your homework, Rockstar96. Good show as always, Mike. I'm off, guys. Adios. Yo, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll do it again next week from my new house. I'll see you at the fights.